joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. We had um, a burn uh, Friday night. Our, uh, our team killed it. It's awesome, so good. A couple of weeks ago, we had the cleansing stream, uh, the, uh, the final day of that too. That was phenomenal. And that whole, that whole course is really, really great. So anybody who is um, wanting to find greater freedom and, um, and would like to find, you find things you can't get past, this is a great course. We'll be running, we'll be running, we'll be running it next full. <laughs> Let me just get that for you. Oh! Those things, hey? There you go. Now you stay. It's my turn. Um, yeah, so, um, so anyway, so here we are at church together, and I, I want to share a few things, and then I'm going to interview a real-life mother this morning uh, for, for my, my third point. And um, I was just um, thinking to myself this week as I was preparing, I was just thinking that probably some of the most courageous and uh, faithful and strongest women I know are single moms. And are there any single moms here this morning? We celebrate you, yeah. We really do. What a, ta- what a task that is. Um, so so we, wanna, we wanna talk about mothers today and uh, I want you to turn your to the John chapter one, I want to read a few scriptures. I want to talk about Jesus and his mom. Actually, Mother's Day, the Mother's Day service is one of the hardest ones to preach for me. I have so little experience at mothering. (laughs) Virtually none. (laughs) But I've got to observe some. And um, I was just just thinking uh, previously about how things change over the years and um, you might remember Richard back in the day when um, if you uh, killed something, you had to skin it. You killed it, you skinned it. But when you kill something now, when you say you killed it, it means you gave life back to it. I, re- I remember when, a, when, when, when hip was a body part. I remember when a cougar was a big cat. Mammal, <laughs> but mom, but mom's the definition of a mom hasn't changed, and uh, I know other stuff changes, but um, but moms don't change, and family doesn't change, and um, I I even recall when something was bad, it meant it wasn't good. It's changing, stuff changes. Moms don't change. I want you to take your Bibles and let's have a look at the inaugural miracle of Jesus at, at Cana in chapter 2 of John. I'm going to read the first eight verses approximately, make a few short comments, and then, and then have her last meeting with Jesus. The next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem so here, here's a mom now is going to use code language because they can do that. 
they have no more wine, she told him. <laughs> Code. And Jesus goes, well, how does that concern you and me? Jesus said, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, probably, you know, with her hand over like this, to do whatever he tells you to do. Probably like that. Six stone water pots were standing there. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes. Held 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus told the servants, fill the water, fill, sorry, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some out and take it to the master ceremony. So they followed his instructions. Uh, you can... When you calculate that 30 gallons, that, that comes out to 754 bottles of wine. <laughs> kind of like your cellar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish 754 <laughs> bottles. I want you to just, just, just turn now to John chapter 19. And uh, beginning at verse, kind of at B there, the B part. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, woman, he is your son. Said to the disciple, she is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Moving, some of the last words of Jesus are some of the most moving, I think. He, he effectively said, John, I want you to take my place as the son. He, he effectively said, I'm going to Mary, I said to Mary, I'm going to, uh, I want you to, to adopt the disciple that I love so much. It doesn't, we, don't, we don't know much else other than it says that from then on, this disciple took her into his home. And, um, you, know, you know, at this moment, Jesus, act, or, or sorry, Mary, three Marys at the scene, Mary had the ability to put up her hand and say something about whether he was God or not at this point. He could have silenced the Pharisees and the Sadducees by saying, he's not really God. But she never. She, this is quite a transition when parents do what children say. I was on a cement pour yesterday and I was my son, and I had to do what I was told. <laughs> With a good attitude. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, They all met together continually for prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several, uh, several other women, and his brothers, and the brothers of Jesus were there. Jesus said, wait. Just wait and pray. She, she did what her son said to do. Earlier on, the servants said what the son said to do. One of the best suggestions I can give to you is you do what Jesus says to do. <laughs> it's probably the best counsel I can give to anyone. Whatever he says to do, just do it. This, this passage, is in, it's interesting for me because the, the first miracle and the last time she sees him, um, it, the last time he, she seen him, that whole crucifixion was prophesied in Luke chapter 2, verse 35, where Anna, I think, or Simeon, one of them said, a sword is going to pierce your soul. That... You know that being a mom is not going to be easy. Effectively what she said. That, that being the mother of Messiah is particularly not going to be easy. <laughs> um, and then she shows up at the prayer meeting. I love how Jesus consistently elevated women. 
Uh, I love how he forced his disciples to think differently about women. One of, the G- one of the things that got Jesus into trouble consistently is his view of women and how he acted around women. Uh, it would have been bad enough for a rabbi to touch a sick man to heal him, let alone a woman. So in this culture, a woman wasn't even allowed to be taught by a rabbi. And Jesus didn't mind going out of his way not just to teach, but to engage with women and empathize and have compassion and consistently allow them to touch him, even anoint him. This was very rare in this culture. Uh, it got all the Pharisees' knickers in a twitch when he would do all these unpolitically correct things. And the law that was interpreted by the Pharisees allowed men to divorce women for petty even unsubstantiated accusations without any recourse. They could just say that she did this and they wouldn't have to prove it. Women could be blamed, then overlooked and lead a less than happy existence. Worse, they could be cast into the street and left alone without any care. But Jesus cared. Um, Jesus would teach on divorce to prevent women from being pawns in a male-dominated world. Every woman in Jesus' life was treated with mutuality and esteem. Jesus would meet a woman at a, at, at a well. She was a Samaritan that they weren't even meant to engage in, in conversation with. He met with her and he did not focus on her promiscuity. Uh, this is wonderful to me. But he entered her world with compassion. A woman who'd been discarded and been mistreated, he would see her and treat her with respect and he would care enough to ask her, tell me more of your story. I wanna hear about your life. And he engaged himself in conversation with her. And he would remind her how cherished she was, how precious she was, and how that she was designed for goodness. This is what Jesus did, this is what he was like. Uh, you got to wonder and how the men felt when Jesus addressed the male gaze, which we could call a gawk or a leer. And he said this, confronted all the potential predators by saying this, if you even look at a woman a certain way, and think a certain thing, you will have committed adultery in your heart. Just think of how that would have, would confront our culture today. Jesus did that. He knew that the heart would follow the eye, but I think that he was protecting the vulnerable and standing up for the minority. Jesus elevated women, and, and I think that that's wonderful. And I think we as a church should do the same. Jesus and women, I don't think that even in our liberated state that we could ever have a higher view of women than Jesus did. Deeply convicting encounters you read about where he confronted the chauvinistic mindsets. He was a champion of women. And I think that even today that he would cause women's rights activists to blush because he stood up for true dignity and true nobility and true goodness 
and true beauty in the hearts of women. His disciples could not quite get it, thinking he was a little bit loose in his actions, I'm sure. You read this, that he would let women touch him and he would start conversations with them and that would make them, I think, totally uncomfortable. And he would even take opportunities to stand up for women and protect women who in that culture were not considered even worth listening to, but more like chattels simply for their husbands. Jesus elevated women. He reached out, not worried about the religious hierarchy or the acceptable customs of the day. Many of Jesus' ways, therefore, I think, were very revolutionary, not feeling any, fearing any of the social stigmas of his day. What would it be like for you and I to be more like Jesus today in our culture? What would we fight for? His habits of defending women in the eyes of the, his contemporaries outraged all of the Jerusalem authorities. In fact, while he was teaching in Jerusalem in the temple, he chose to teach from the courts where the women and the children were welcome to come. And I think this speaks of Jesus' accessibility to every one of us today, women and children. Um, it was there that he noticed the woman who put in her last coin. It was there in that place because he, they were accessible together. So I think it's wonderful. But as I read through some of the narratives of Jesus' life, I can see some of the strains that were within his family, but he was always very close to his mother. Uh, this was highlighted in Cana. She was close enough to take the code language and him uh, become the winemaker in the moment. Um, but here's what happens because in, in the eyes of a mother, whether it's in the mother, whether the child is being nurtured in the womb or whether the child is being rocked at night or whether that child is going through seasons of life in their different relationships and their different seasons at school or with peers, mothers know that their children were all designed for greatness. They know it. And, and, and what would it have been? I don't know, it doesn't say, but that Jesus could do miracles, that his mother says, no, 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 you do what he says, because he has the potential of changing everything. A mom could see the potential, and she knew the prophecies, of course, but she had weighed the cost of all that, and there would have been nights, lonely nights, whether it was in Egypt or whether it was in Cana or whether it was either earlier in Nazareth that she would have looked into the eyes of this beautiful little child as human and as godly as he was and said, this one is special. There's no ugly babies to a mom. I've seen plenty of them. But not in a mom's eyes, no baby's ugly. I don't know how that works, but it just works. It's fascinating to me, as well as she's seen his deity at the cross, she knew. She knows that he could do miracles, and she knew that was not the last time she was going to see him. She was there. She was present in the great times and in the not-so-great times. Moms know that, and they show up. When your kids win at soccer, 
or when they fumble and fall and fuss about. But they're there because moms are champions of their kids. I'm here to say, to just remind you moms that you're amazing. You're awesome. And where would we be without you, quite literally? You're amazing. And we want to remind every woman of that today. And we want to thank them for that. I was thinking of the different seasons in a child's life. And uh, I tried to remember so that I can help my kids go through the different seasons. But it seems that there's about three seasons in the children's formation. Um, um, the The first season is what sociologists would call imprinting. It's between the ages of zero and seven. And here's why, here's, here's, what's, here's what's fascinating to me because every mom has the potential for being awesome. If they can just understand a couple of things, and the one thing is this, is your kids can't do without your presence, without your touch, and without your nurture, without your love. I just wanna add to that, and without your prayers. Mom's prayers. I'm here because of a mom's prayers and a grandma's prayer. That's why I am. Somehow, somehow they have a little special touch on them. But um, if your home of origin worked well, you were very fortunate. You, you will have been able to breathe some of the aroma of heaven. But most f- people don't grow up in perfect homes. Few do. None do. We all come from broken homes, some more broken than others. But we're all f- flawed. But here's what's miraculous to me, and I just want to make this really, really simple, because because homes are the place that shape us. And and if you've had the privilege of growing up in a reasonably healthy home, you're very, very blessed. Rather than your home reminding you of heaven, many people live up, live out their childhood years in virtual hells where they were meant to be unconditionally cared for and protected and loved, they have been exposed to unhealthy and ungodly emotions and actions, and our heart breaks. And, and, and quite frankly, I think that that happens within church families as well, because things that happen in, in homes are reflected in churches, and can I just say that many times they're magnified in a church. <laughs> and there's no perfect church, neither. But, but I was just thinking of these three phases and, and I'm trying to think of people when they come into our church because we use, we use certain metaphors that everybody kind of gets, but they don't all work for everybody when they come from a home that's not that healthy. I've even had the question asked to me, why would the father give his son and not come himself? Because, of course, we know the gospel. It works for us. We understand it. But not everybody understands that. And so I think we need to be, take a little more time to explain our stories maybe a little bit more to people who didn't come from such great homes and maybe didn't have a mom that loved them or protect them or a dad. And so we, I just want to remind us of this, this imprinting stage. And it, this happens, um, we call it in scripture the, the principle of first mention. And it goes something like this, is that the first person that taught you about a topic, every other topic will be measured back to that benchmark. And that's why I am so grateful we've got a phenomenal family or children's program in our church because I want them to hear about the truths about life and and I want them to get it in the right context. It's what I want. We're doing our best. I think we can always improve. 
But what happens when we get, we get that first impression, that first experience, or that first teaching, when that comes from the world, or maybe from the locker room, or from some other environment that may not be that healthy, every other experience is measured back to that benchmark. We call that, or the social scientists call that imprinting. They first discovered that with little baby geese. We had some geese out here, I don't know if you knew. It was a sign. The wild goose, the Celtic sign of the Holy Spirit. We had a goose out here. She had three eggs. What happens is, is that the first thing that Gosling sees, they discovered, is that's what it wants to be like. But it's much the same with children. That age zero to seven, moms and dads, they're imprinted in that zero to seven age. They're deeply imprinted. And then between the ages of seven to 12, you can impress them, but you can no longer imprint on them because they've already had the initial imprinting. Or you can impress them, but after age 12, the window closes. You can no longer imprint and you can no longer impress. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Too much is accessible to our kids visually today. Too much. And they need to see in the context of a home what it means to be a boy who, who is strong and can learn about sacrificial love or a little girl that learns about beauty and godliness and selflessness. They learn them in the home. The third phase after imprinting an impression is simply coaching is all you can do. They're gonna ask some questions, but at that point, they're already making their mind up. They already know what they think, and they're already probably pushing back a heck of a lot because they've been exposed, and they no longer are okay with the answer, because I said so. <laughs> no. Anybody here under 12? Okay, I'm just talking to moms and dads a little bit on this. Your homes, spiritual as well, they're places for tender plants to put their roots down. And here's my point, is that roots grow best in soils where they're planted. When we look at the facts, statistically 32% become believers before their teens. 32%. 4% are able to receive, get that influence in their teens, only 4%. And for the rest of their decades, only 6% are impressionable or imprintable with the gospel. That's statistics. It's no wonder that Jesus said, let the children come to me. Because he knew all they needed was one encounter. That's all they needed. And they'd be imprinted for the rest of their lives. Let those children come. Home, if you're part of a loving family, you're very, very blessed. Because in the home, there's five purposes for a home. I'm going to say these very quickly, and then I'm going to do an interview. The first I believe in a God-ordained home, the first thing that kids get is beliefs. What they believe about themselves, what they believe about God, and what they believe about the world. The purpose is for us to transfer godly truths to them because their lives will consistently follow their beliefs. Their beliefs are to be established and formed at home. The second function of a home is identity. In a gender-confused world, may I just say that again? In a gender-confused world, the little boys and the little girls are to get their identity of male and femaleness 
within the context of a home. Somebody say amen. Amen. Just saying what I got. This needs to be modeled and it needs to be affirmed within the home. And if the little boy and the little girl, if they get to see that, it'll set them straight for the rest of their days. Help us, Holy Spirit. The third thing that a home, purpose of a home is for character. Habits formed and fostered at home determine character. The fourth thing is purpose. Everyone is to be given a clear sense of purpose and the definition for success within their home and within a home culture. They're to get that from their home. And lastly, the fifth thing I believe that we see that's implied throughout Scripture and seen in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 is another purpose of the home is that children are to get their understanding and their idea of leadership within the home. That's where it's to come from, I believe. It says that if a man can't manage his home well and his kids don't respect him, they shouldn't, he shouldn't be part of leading the church. That's what it says, that leadership and their idea of leadership needs to come from home. Now, having ranted about all that, I'm going to invite my wife to come up. The mom of three children and three grandchildren and the husband of one, myself. I thought just a little, just a little interview may help us. And I've kind of prepped her for the question, so it's not going to be, I'm not going to embarrass her or anything, but um, sweetheart, just very briefly, but yet very candidly. Question number one, um, what does it mean to be a mom? Well, like I said before, to be a mom is, is just to be truly sacrificial, to um, just give beyond something like Jesus did, but we're not perfect, but to be a mom that's... To be generous. Well, to be generous and to... to be giving. Yes. <laughs> I'm just summarizing. He'll do the interview. <laughs> I honestly, so when we talk about generosity, though, I honestly, I've seen how generosity changes lives. I've seen within our home when we th- decided to give that, that second car away and we invited the kids around. And we yeah. said, we feel that God's asked us to give this car away. And, um, and I remember the questions. And, well, well, I wanted that when I became a driver. Like, what do you want to And then all, and so we just go away. And we prayed about that. And we tried, we tried to instill. We tried to. We really did try to. Whether they learned it or not, we taught it, didn't we? <laughs> all right. The, the, the second question would be, um, so what would you do again? Or what might you do differently when you look back on your mothering years? Um... One thing that when Lauren asked me the question too, everyone knows that um, the reason why I have a new kitchen too is I love to cook yeah, and love to bake and, and love to, that's my love language to the kids. Mm-hmm. But if I had to do something again as a young mom, I would confront my issues. Um, I would go to cleansing streams or go to LL and confront things like fear and um, shame, competition, um, things like that. Because what I found is an unhealed mom sows that into her children because the children are like little gardens and the seeds that go in are the seeds that grow. And there was many times that I would um, just fall before the Lord and repent and, and for, you know, my unhealed stuff because 
actually, I didn't think I had any until I seen my kids. <laughs> and then when you see your kids, you see Where did what, that come what, from? what's in them. Where did that little attitude come from? Exactly. Sneak in there? So, it has a to, source. so instead of getting angry, um, again, I learned this a little later. I would say, Lord, is that in me? And I would deal with it in me. So, now, so uh, point to husbands, you never say that's in her. <laughs> you wait for the question. So, yeah. What would I do again? I'd wait for the question. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, you've been awesome at that. And, and you have been very, you've been ruthless at trying to uh, sort out your things because you knew that generationally it would have an impact. Very yeah, much. And I appreciate that, yeah. you doing that. Um, I'm going to ask the last question, then we're going to ask the, the band to come back up. Um, what would you like to say to uh, all the women here today? Well, to all the moms, I, especially the young moms, my heart really goes out to you because culture screams at you right now and tells you that it's just everywhere, that you're not doing it right, you're not doing it good enough, um, you should do this, you should do that. And I just want to say, could you take your questions to the Lord first? Um, because he has answers for you. Um, Google and all that stuff have answers, but they, you, you, when you try and measure against the culture of this world, you'll never measure up. And so in his eyes, he wants to say that you're great, yeah. you're doing a, the best job you know how, yeah. and um, that's what I wanna say, you're good moms. They're amazing moms. You're good women. Yeah. All right, so Kelly and I are gonna pray for you. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you. Um, every Sunday morning, we like to give people opportunity to re respond. And we've got um, different, we've got an altar team and different ways for you to respond. We're welcome to pray for you. If you're going through a difficult time, you need healing of any kind, we have a prayer team that'll anoint you with oil. Uh, if you would like to know Christ as your savior, uh, we would really welcome you to come up over by the cross here. We'll make sure that you get a Bible, be part of a new believers class, something like that. Uh, but we don't want you to leave the same way as you came. We want you to leave a little better. And so if there's something we can do to pray for you, we'd like to do that. Our goal this morning was to remind women, and especially moms, but women, that you are amazing. And Jesus, I think his message to you would be, you're precious, you're valuable, you're worthwhile, and you're amazing. I think that Jesus would like to hear all of your stories individually. And if he were to walk among us today, that he would take time and he would care for every woman that's in this place. And every woman he met, he took time with. So this is always mind-blowing for me. So why don't you stand with us as Kelly and I invoke the blessing, a blessing upon you on this very special Mother's Day. Father, we thank you for the gift of godly mothers. Lord, we thank you for your word that directs us and reminds us that you actually go out of your way to tell people that their past is not nearly as important as their future. It's you that would look adulterers and adulteresses in the eyes and say, you're forgiven. No longer live with that shame and that guilt hanging over your head. Jesus, it was you that didn't take cues from culture, but took them as you understood men and women were designed to receive and to give love. So today, Father, we bless the women in this house right here. Everyone that's under the sound of our voice, we bless them. And we 
and we just affirm their feminineness, we affirm their princessness, their queenliness, their nobility. We bless them and the sacrifices they've made and the times that they put themselves in harm's way to bring life into this world. Father, we just pray for your presence as we leave here to go with us and remind us of how good that you've, you looked at mankind, you said it's good. God, I pray for every woman that they feel good when they leave today. I pray, Father, for your presence to continue to remind them that they are cherished and they are highly favored. And Father, today we celebrate mothers and we say to every woman in this place, you're blessed, highly favored, and we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you're released to go and change your world. Through those doors walk beautiful women and mothers in Jesus' name, amen. You're released. Yeah. This message has impacted you. For more information about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.